LP Flagstaff. I'm your host, Evan McNillia, alongside Noah Butler, as always. We're joined by our guest tonight, Joe Gardner, and Nathan Ecker for this first half hour. We got some NFL talk tonight, a lot of NFL action going on as we get down towards this playoff race, playoff push. We got some World Cup talk later on, of course. For first two rounds of matches for each group wrapping up. Today, going forward, decisions will be made on each day going forward with the knockout round going forward. And also, NBA season, full swing. So we'll, we have a lot of sports to unpack tonight, but we'll be starting off with the NFL and the Cincinnati Bengals. Have a tough match, tough game against a Tennessee Titans team that always seems to find their way into the win column. But... You know, in a rematch of last year's divisional round where we saw Joe Burrow sacked, I think, something like nine times, but obviously the Bengals still found a way to pull out a win in that one on their way to the Super Bowl. But just an incredible team, or an incredible game between two top-tier teams. Noah, what did you see out of this game on Sunday? I mean, just absolute battle between two teams that are right up there in the AFC playoff chase. You know, I saw another solid game from T Higgins. This is the second game that he's really had to be the wide receiver one. Um, he had nine targets, seven receptions um, for 114 yards and the eventual eventual game winning touchdown. Um, T Higgins has really had to step up these last couple weeks as that wide receiver one last week. He had a spectacular game against Pittsburgh, um, but they don't put up as many points this time and he's still crucial and clutch in that time now Jamar Chase is expected to come back this next week I think they're playing the Chiefs oh that should be a good game so now the Bengals have two solid wide receiver ones that they can go up against Mahomes and the Chiefs in an AFC championship matchup no T Higgins has been absolutely balling out these past few games and like you said had that touchdown that came in early in the fourth quarter of the game which ended up being the score that put the Bengals over the Titans but Joe what did you see in this game you know, I think one of the biggest storylines was Derrick Henry, and he was outplayed by Samaji Pirine. Um, Derrick Henry had that one big play at the beginning where Ryan Tannehill dumped it off, and he ran up the field 70 yards and then eventually fumbled the ball around, like, the three-yard line, and the Bengals picked it up. And I don't know, I think that's just the biggest storyline was Derrick Henry. He, he isn't playing like he, he, he can. No, this Titans team has been a little bit different, but obviously the rookie this year, Traylon Burks, had an insane catch during the game. There were some amazing catches from both T. Higgins and Traylon Burks down the, I guess, course of this game. Huge 51-yard catch over the middle. Traylon Burks goes up over a defender, absolutely mosses him, almost taking the ball out of his hands. And it's just crazy because a lot of rookie receivers along the league have been coming along in big ways and like you said that Derrick Henry fumble was hilarious this Titans team is kind of struggling to figure it out they have their patches right now but just a uh I guess this game was a toss-up either way and we knew it was going to be a battle but to see the Bengals come out on top it gives you a little bit more um I guess a uh, hope going forward for their season, especially where you saw them a couple weeks ago below the 500 mark. Now they've battled back, got a bit of a win streak going. And they're 7-4 and four right there, the second in the AFC North and holding on to a wild card position in the AFC playoffs. So that'll be huge. And, I mean, these are two teams that we could see clash down the road here. But looking across at the uh, 
some of the other games around the league. We saw some backup quarterbacks go out and get huge wins throughout last week. The Jets get a huge win over the Bears, 31-10, to um, with Mike White at quarterback absolutely balling out. We saw him come in injury replacement or COVID replacement last year of Zach Wilson and have a huge five-touchdown, 400-plus yard game against the Bengals in a Jets win. And those were few and far between last year comes in. This game has over 300 yards passing, three touchdowns. Uh, Washington Commanders get a 19-13 win over the Falcons. Uh, just a tough two teams that are kind of bottling for one of those last couple NFC wildcard spots. And so a huge win. Looking forward as the Commanders are now 7-5, and five, holding on to that seventh seed. As the fourth team in the NFC East, I mean the NFC East, all four teams in the NFC playoff field right now, not something we're used to seeing really. But then the Panthers continue proving that Russell Wilson is Bad. 23-10 to 10 defeat of the Broncos as Sam Darnold coming in in replacement of Baker Mayfield and, I mean, P.J. Walker. And, you know, that's kind of been a rotating door for them. But just three backup quarterbacks getting it done against, uh, I mean, not necessarily formidable foes, but just teams that are up there. And even Jacoby Brissett played out of his mind as well. Oh, yeah. Jacoby Brissett goes and gets a win against Tom Brady in overtime in the Buccaneers. I mean, like you said, across the league, just backups uh, doing it. Well, it's kind of tough that Jacoby Brissett is now going to be reduced to a backup as Deshaun Watson has been reinstated. No Cleveland talk. Yeah, no, that's enough. Um, Against the the Texans, though, the Texans, interesting team. They, They did lose this week, I'm did they? Texans. Who did they play this week? The, they got oh, the blown out by the Dolphins. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Dolphins didn't score any points in the second half. Yeah. Interesting. They didn't really try, though. Tua was out most of that second half. Well, they, were, they were up 30-0 in the first half. I think so. Tua got injured again. Yeah. But I think it was Miami's defense that really pulled that game away for them. But no, then Russell Wilson, though, 19 for 35, 142 yards and just one touchdown in the loss. I mean, he is looking absolutely embarrassing. I mean, I'm not sure if everyone caught it, but there was a defensive lineman coming off towards the side. A little bit of frustration. He catches Russell Wilson. You see him glance in his direction, kind of get huffed up a little bit, continues walking towards his sideline before deciding, yeah, no, I'm going to go dish this out and... Had a, I, no, I don't want to say a tantrum, but I don't know which other way to describe it. Had a, exchanged his words and let Russell Wilson know how he felt on the sideline. Just the Broncos down bad after giving up so much to bring in quarterback Russell Wilson. And now here they are down in the bottom of the AFC West division, struggling against mediocre teams. I mean, really, what, what does the future for the Broncos hold? I don't know, and it's going to be really tough to get out of the situation if they choose to with Russell Wilson. I think I saw somewhere that if they want to move on from him, the dead cap hit is over a hundred million dollars. <laughs> so a lot of money. it's if they, I don't know what they want to do, but if they want to have money for free agency, they they have to keep Russell Wilson. Well, the Broncos, I don't know. I I I saw something earlier that said they needed to bench Russell Wilson. Who who's the Broncos backup? I don't know. Nobody good uh, could be better than Russell Wilson at this point. I mean, they got Kendall Hinton on the roster still. <laughs> yeah, um, 
No, Obviously, yeah. wide receiver who, uh, during the COVID era, as the entire Broncos quarterback room got COVID, <laughs> had to come in and play quarterback for the Broncos in a real regular season game against the Saints. And he's still hidden on that roster, but the Broncos just very shallow. Yeah. don't really have much of a backup role at quarterback after tr- giving Drew Locke to Seattle in that trade for Russell Wilson. They have um, Brett Ripon. Uh, Brett Ripien. Or Ripien, sorry. Yeah, no, but just... That's that's not that's not talent for a, a Broncos team. And the Broncos, they can't even reload next season because their pick, projected to be number two right now, goes to the Seahawks as a result of that Russell Wilson trade. So they can't even reload at quarterback, which could be a huge thing. Nate, yeah? I, I was just thinking, like, on, on the Broncos, like, is it... Is, is, is maybe... Russell just like he's he's just showing he's a system QB. Maybe maybe Denver like maybe Denver needs someone else play calling. You know maybe like not not to throw all in the head coach, but like we see in the NFL how much how much a coach can make a difference when um when they know like how to call plays for for the quarterback that they're using. So maybe maybe there needs to be some kind of head coaching change in Denver. I mean, Nathaniel Hackett, of course, in his first year with them and not not going well by any means. You know, you give him an elite quarterback with, or supposed elite quarterback. Air you quotes. can't see the air, air quotes, but elite quarterback with Russell Wilson. And he's just not producing for you. I just, I, I think what you said about Russell Wilson being a system QB is huge. I mean, and more credit should be given to Pete Carroll in the system that he, in culture that he's, created in Seattle and allowed Russell Wilson to flourish for so many years because, I mean, before this Denver kick, I mean, Russell Wilson was talked about future Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the top names in the game, and it's crazy. I don't think I've seen a player's legacy almost come crashing down in the course of one season just because of um, obviously poor play and lack of results on the field, but it just... Russell Wilson himself looks bad. It's not even the Broncos necessarily around him. It's just... I mean, maybe it's because he doesn't have Tyler Lockett bailing him out by tracking the ball any which direction, north, south, east, west, into outer space on the field. Tyler Lockett's ability to just maneuver around the field to find the football. But it just, he hasn't been able to figure it out in Denver. And I just, we came into the start of the season, we thought the AFC West was going to be this elite division, the top four dogs in the AFC. It's going to be a dog fight. You know, Devontae Adams is going to, elevate the Raiders with new coach Josh McDaniel and Nathaniel Hackett with Russell Wilson will be top contenders and introduce them into the mix of Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, a team that's young and figuring it out. They're supposed to be great. It was supposed to be um, just a lot different in expectations were a lot different than what we've seen so far this season. Yeah. Russ? Oh, sorry. No, no, no you're, you're good. You, you okay. Go I was going to say, maybe it's, maybe it's Pete Carroll because Russell Wilson leaves the Seahawks. Geno Smith steps in, and he's playing elite. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's something in Seattle that Russ needs to be a part of to actually play well. But I don't know. Yeah, you know, here's something else. I just Russell Wilson turns 35 tomorrow. In fact. Wow. He's yeah. Like, he's older than I expected. Yeah, we think like he's been. I mean, we kind of forget that he's kind of been in the league for a while. And you know, when we saw him in Seattle, do you know, amazing things like under Pete Carroll um, and give props to that. You know, maybe maybe Russell's just getting old and, like, because we see, like, Brady, Tom Brady sets, like, such a high standard for quarterbacks, and we kind of forget that, you know, 
like high that mid like high 30 range for QBs is kind of a range now where it's you might see a, like uh, a decrease in, uh, in 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 play. So maybe maybe Russell is just getting old too. Maybe there is no way to fix this. Yeah, and um, it's it's such it's a tough call. I I don't know because I feel like Russell Wilson. There was no sign or hint that this drop off could be coming coming into this season. But I mean, it might just be time. And I don't so. To move on over, and I'm going to jump around games here a little bit. Sorry, boys, if you're following your notes in order. But looking at the Packers-Eagles Sunday night football game last night, Aaron Rodgers obviously enters that shootout with Jalen Hurts, and they go back and forth through the fourth quarter a little bit. Packers trail a lot of it, but end up struggling. But obviously, Aaron Rodgers goes down. Jordan Love comes in. Jordan Love, 6-for-9 passing, 114 yards, huge ball to Christian Watson connecting with the rookie, and it really puts the Packers in fighting chance at the end, even though uh, Rodgers had kind of thrown two interceptions earlier in the game. This is an opportunistic Eagles defense, so I'll, talk, I'll touch on them here in a second. But just kind of that same idea of are we seeing the end of Aaron Rodgers where are these two guys that this season is the year that we're seeing them start to be phased out as quarterbacks, and I mean, you look at Brady as well with the Buccaneers, which we kind of touched on. They lost to uh, Cleveland. Um, uh, <laughs> Brissett. Kobe Brissett. Yeah. Kobe Brissett. And just a tough position for these veteran quarterbacks. It feels like maybe the final handing of the torch we may be witnessing right now with the three, I mean, top guys from the last decade plus. I'm kind of – I like it. I'm not – not to put downfall as a word on anybody, but I kind of like the downfall of the old guys here. I like seeing the new guys come up, start getting better. We've obviously had some young quarterbacks have some great games. We'll get to Jacksonville in a second, Joe. But, yeah, I, I, liked, I like seeing this turnover in the NFL. What do you, uh, well, one, what did you guys think of, or this just kind of shifting of the quarterbacks, but two, just your overall thoughts on last night's Sunday night football game? Uh, I think Jordan Love came in and played great. I didn't see the entire time he played, but the few throws I saw, they were, or a few of them were the incomplete passes he had, but they, he looked great. But I don't know, I think it might be too early on Aaron Rodgers to say he's going to just drop off because he has been playing better than earlier weeks in the season, and his and Christian Watson has finally established himself as a wide receiver. So maybe if we give him a few more weeks, we can see how his play continues. But I, I don't know. I think Jordan Love can still play uh, quarterback for any team, honestly. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's been question marks around Jordan Love just because of how long we've had to wait to see him really come out and give and get a real opportunity. Obviously, he comes in for Aaron Rodgers when he's hurt in past seasons a little bit or a little bit in relief efforts, but never really given a real chance and opportunity. I mean... In short time, he looked better than we've seen him through a lot of his career on Sunday night football. Now, obviously, drafted in the first round three years ago, it it might be reaching time here for the Packers. But, I mean, that Packers defense, uh, no no credit to them whatsoever just because, I mean, giving up 300-plus yards on the ground is horrible. Jalen Hurts was out of his mind. 17 carries, 157 yards with a 42 
yard rush as well as he had a obviously normal night through the air, two passing touchdowns, 200 some yards. So, I mean, just a stupid career night for Jalen Hurts. And then Miles Sanders out of the backfield on 21 carries had 143 yards and two touchdowns. So the Eagles ground game just absolutely going on this Packers team. And I mean, the Packers backs did their best to respond, but they just, when the defense isn't helping you out, it's hard to keep up with a team like the Eagles. It's Jalen Hurts' season. I keep saying it, and I will keep saying it until MVP race comes around, but I am a firm believer that Jalen Hurts will win the MVP, especially if the Eagles keep doing what they're doing. I don't know. Yeah, and just credit to that Eagles defense. Obviously, the Packers defense made it easy for them, but uh, sorry, I meant to say Eagles offense. That final drive of the game, you know, the Packers put themselves in a position where they had over six minutes on the clock to um, try and get a stop, come back, and just like this next game that we'll get to, the uh, winning team just marches, uh, or was it this game? I'm getting to clock management. There's been so much clock management I've been paying attention to prepping for this show just because of how often teams are able to drain time off the clock. The Eagles go drain six minutes and 30 seconds off the clock on a field goal drive, which put them up by two possessions. Given the Packers, I mean, little to no chance with just a little over two minutes, maybe just a little under two minutes right in that range left in the game. And that just gives you no chance to compete. It just... We've seen two games this weekend where teams dro- drove six-plus minutes off the clock to finish out games or to, you know, seriously dwindle the clock. And then on the other end, offenses right now can score in a minute and 30 seconds if you give it to them. There's such a parity on each side of this. Or if you're Mahomes, 13 seconds. <laughs> yeah, you don't even need that much. I mean, that was uh, the play- or the... The playoff game last year, right? With, With the, the Bills. Bills. Yeah, that final play of the fourth quarter. <laughs> like, offenses can score in a flash, but at the same time, offenses on the other side trying to drain clock and run it out on you can take off more than a third of a quarter of game time, and it just never seemed kind of like yin-yang in the NFL like that. But, um, no, Joe, I know you've been waiting for this one. So we'll get right into it. The Jacksonville Jaguars get a huge upset over the Baltimore Ravens. Trevor Lawrence, career day, uh, really looked like a stud out there for the Jaguars. I mean, they put together a complete team performance and brought down one of the top AFC competitors. I mean, Joe, we know you're a Jaguars fan, so how are you feeling about that one? Oh, that one felt great. Um, Trevor Lawrence, T-Law, he's him. He's that general. Generational quarterback we saw in college. He he has finally arrived in Jacksonville. He has played amazing these last three or four games. Um, hold on, I have I have some stats here. Let me yes, let, let me pull them up. Okay, in the last three games, Trevor Lawrence is 83 out of 108, which is 76.8 completion percentage. If you don't know, that's pretty high. 815 yards. Six touchdowns, zero interceptions, and two wins in the last three games. Hey, that, I mean, for the Jaguars, that's putting up some numbers. And for uh, Trevor Lawrence, he hasn't shown a lot of consistency back-to-back games throughout his career to this point. So he's stringing this together in multiple weeks now, looking more consistent. I mean, what do you think it could mean more for the Jaguars going forward? I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. Um, once we finally get that deep threat, which... We might have with that with the Calvin Ridley trade at the deadline. Um, I think 
that we can we can finally string together wins if we have consistent play from our all phases, offense, defense, and special teams. Uh, we can finally start winning some games here in Jacksonville. Yeah, I mean, like you said, offense, defense, special teams, complete team performance, and that's what Jacksonville had this last game. I mean, Hasty got loose early. He had um, five receptions for 67 yards and a touchdown. Logan Cook later in the game in the third quarter had a huge 70-yard punt, great special teams played by the gunner, leaping into the end zone to save it, downs it at the one-yard line, and Ravens eventually have to punt off that drive, which was huge for the Jaguars needing a stop there in the third quarter. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, like we said, he responded whenever they needed him to. He answered back to the Ravens' attacks, and this was a mostly defensive game through the first uh, three quarters. The Ravens had three field goals in the first half and were forced to set a lot of the time, and it was 12-10 going into the fourth quarter, obviously, and um, 28-27. But Trevor Lawrence, 29-37, 321, and three touchdowns. You know, like you said, a part of those that three-game total that he's had. Zay Jones had an absolute day, an absolute addition from the Las Vegas Raiders, had really started to submit himself as like a three there in Las Vegas last season. Obviously in free agency, he gets picked up by the Jaguars. 11 receptions, 145 yards, gets the two-point conversion as well to get the win. Just a huge performance. And then on defense, the defense does it too. Three fumbles, and I know you got Oyasade Aluakon, on your mind, Joe. I, he had a great game. 18 tackles, 13 solo, 5 uh, assists. That's insane. With two behind the line of scrimmage, just a free-flowing linebacker, quick to the ball, and, I, I mean, 18 tackles in a game is ridiculous. You're making your dip, or making your presence felt nearly everywhere when you're racking up that many. And No, there's the whole game, insane. Trevor Lawrence in the fourth quarter alone was 15 of 19, 173 yards, and two touchdowns. Is that clutch? That's, that's clutch. And listen, listen here. That, that touchdown to Marvin Jones with 18 seconds left had a 8.2% completion percentage. There was an 8.2% chance it happened. It gets it done. Yeah. But the Jaguars now 4-7. and seven, I mean, they pretty much have to win out to give themselves a real chance at... Um, making it to the playoffs, how confident, like, do you feel in that? I mean, you get a huge win here, so rattling off some down the stretch. I mean, you might be able to afford maybe one loss, depending on tiebreakers. We'll see as the rest of the conference pans out. But do you think there's a real shot for playoffs next year, or is this more, okay, this is a team that we can become in years going forward? I think next year there is definitely a chance. We'll get Calvin Ridley who oh. hopefully will open up the the back half or the the I don't even know the the hey, rest of the field. Off, he's gonna open up the field. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna open up the field for Tila. Um, if we if our defense can start tightening up, uh, playing a little bit better, um, they I mean it's definitely there's a big chance that it can happen next season. Yeah, and I mean, just to kind of shift here though, looking at a team that Zay Jones came from. One of his former teammates, Josh Jacobs, had an insane game in their win over the Seahawks. Get it done, 40-34 to in overtime. 
gashes off one of the longest overtime runs, I think, something. Or ever. I saw something the about longest you know, one. Longest overtime Since run in 1996. Ever, or whenever, yeah. Since 1996. I, just shutting it down. I mean, over, I mean, 80-some yards to the house. I mean, there's nothing you can do to stop that. I mean, Josh Jacobs has been running like a man on a mission this year. But to get it done against the Seahawks, who have been consistent offensively and defensively, have been able to pull out wins against some decent teams and maintain a lead in the NFC West, get shut down by a Raiders team that largely this year has been struggling. Yeah, this Raiders team, I I mean, they've been struggling. Like you said, Devontae Adams and Derek Carr have had to put their team on the back. And Josh Jacobs kind of took that load off this game. 300, uh, 308 yards, 303 total yards from scrimmage. 229 carrying, 74 receiving. Yeah, just a monster game for Josh Jacobs, and one that the Raiders really needed to win. Like, that team really, that team has not had a lot of confidence. Derek Carr got injured during the game, came back a play later. Also and threw two interceptions. And threw two interceptions. But as soon as he got injured, he came back and threw a touchdown, which kind of, I, I feel like that really got them going. I mean, um, that's the response you need. From well, that's the response you're going to need. Yeah, that, that's the response they need from the season. It's like I think this game could be maybe a catalyst and what could be a potential run for this Raiders team. Yeah, Raiders kind of in that same spot as the Jaguars now, 4-7. and seven. I'm not sure how their tiebreakers work out, but I think they are below Jacksonville. In the we beat them. With the, yeah, with the head, head-to-head win. So, I, I mean, we'll see down the stretch here, but that, that bottom tier of the AFC scrapping for that seventh, sixth seed is going to be um, an interesting group this year. It's going to – and I think some teams are going to keep their name in the hunt in that little graphic, you know, as we see through December on uh, NFL pregame shows on um, just keeping their nose in the playoff hunt. But a lot of them we're going to see just – falter even with wins in week 17 and 18 i think i think teams that actually there's two teams playing right now on monday night football who also could potentially be in the dead middle of that four and seven hunt the steelers playing the Colts right now steelers up 16-3 at the half and then i mean to look at two teams this weekend who one maybe kept themselves alive in the playoff hunt and the other one capped themselves off in maybe lost their chances at this year's playoffs. The Chargers beat the Cardinals 25-24 to in a horrible nail-biter that, as a Chargers fan, I hated every single second of. It just, I mean, Justin Herbert was hit 13 times in the game. 13 times. The Chargers' offensive line is depleted. I mean, already injured, of course, um, Rayshon Slater out for the year. But uh, Corey Lindsley went down with a concussion during the game, and then uh, I, I, Trey Pipkin's backup right tackle went down as well. So we're getting down to our 8th, ninth, 10th or offensive lineman now. And the Cardinals, on the other hand, just needed a stop at the end. The Chargers on their final drive went Austin Eckler swing pass left, Austin Eckler screen left, swing pass left, pass a little dump off left, maybe a shot to the middle, back to Eckler on the right side, back to Eckler on the left, and then he walked in for a touchdown. It was just swing pass back and forth across the field, and the Cardinals just couldn't step up and make a stop. And it's really the antithesis of their season. It just feels like they're right there in everything. They have the players, they have 
everything but it seems the scheme and heart and leadership to get it done. As sorry, as as the resident Cardinals fan, yeah, this this whole season has been tough. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I mean, like I uh, I was joking with some people that this this game was uh, it was almost like who, whoever loses gets Sean Payton. <laughs> because I like I'm 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 at the point at the Cardinals as as a fan of the Cardinals where it's the offense just doesn't it doesn't work. Like me, we scored points, but it we scored twenty four when we should be scoring like thirty. Like and you know, Cliff, I mean he has the good looks, but he just can't call the plays. It's, and he's got the looks. He's got the house. He's got the contract. Exactly. Nice house, yeah. He's got everything except, like the win, the winning, <laughs> which is what's most important. So I mean, it's 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 been rough. Yeah, I'd say both with the both of these teams just to show mad inconsistency on both sides of the ball. The Chargers offensively don't look up to par. It feels like they're like their plays are a constant mix of oversimplified or overcomplicated and there's not really room in the middle and so there's never really traction rhythm repetition a flow that they can get into on offense and it it doesn't help with the offensive line situation so they have to change and do not change i guess but um they're limited on offense compared to how they would be if they had their entire starting offensive line and then the cardinals it just it feels like they have all the playmakers in the world to draw up the craziest stuff, have the best play design. Kyler Murray should be running like Jalen Hurts, and there's no reason that he shouldn't be one of the top guys in the league. And his decision-making can be questioned, but also you can question the plays that he's put in and the coaching he receives that's telling him the way to look at and approach these situations. I feel like he hasn't had good leadership his entire career as quarterback of the Cardinals with Clay Kingsbury, a fired Texas Tech head coach, as his head coach and offensive quote-unquote mastermind. Again, air quotes, you can't see him. But the Cardinals and Chargers are both teams that massively underperform. And it's weird. They they kind of occupy the same little Southwest territory. There was a lot of Chargers fans at the game, it feels like. A, it's a game that I feel like both fan bases are willing to travel for. You know, Cardinals come out when, uh, whenever they play in the preseason out in L.A. or um, during the regular season even. Same way with the Chargers. A lot of Chargers fans will travel out to the Cardinals stadium and go watch the game. So it's like a home-and-home home series with more road support than you'd expect at most games. But just a tough loss. A, 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 it's just... These two teams are tight. It's they're both inconsistent, and one found out a way to get the win because they went for two. And I don't know, I don't know how much Warzone Kyle has been playing, but he's also hasn't won a game since Warzone Two has come out. So I don't know how how his stats are looking in Warzone Two, but they're not looking great on the field. Y'all thought Kyler was okay after he made it through the campaign launch. Nah, he's not worried about that. This guy plays competitive unless he's dropping other people. It doesn't matter to him. And so, you know, obviously Warzone 2 comes out. And now I think um, it, it might take some time. Kyler might even not be functionable through, I mean, the Christmas news. He might be waiting for them. So we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes. And I, the Cardinals are in a rough spot. 
But Steelers playing the Colts right now. Noah, what's the score of that one? Uh, 16-10. At the beginning of the second half. 16-10 who? Um, Steelers. At the beginning of the second half, the Colts returned it 73 yards to this Pittsburgh 19-yard line, and three plays later, Jonathan Taylor finds the end zone for a touchdown. But that's all for our NFL action for the week. We'll update with the final score of that uh, Monday night football game when it's live. But I'd like to thank Joe Garner so much for coming on and talking <laughs> NFL with us. We'll be back on... Wait, no. <laughs> Najee just got injured. Oh, no. Najee Harris down with. Not something we want to hear. We are going to be back shortly on the other side with some NBA talk with Nathan Ecker. Again, Joe Garner, thank you so much for coming on talking some football with us. You're listening to The Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. You know, we're talking about Ivaka Zubak here. Sorry, the mics were being weird. Uh... Yeah, no, 31 points, 29 rebounds, 3 blocks. That's just something crazy here as we get into our NBA segment. Um, yeah, no, that that he dominated and helped carry the Clippers to the win that game. Yeah, I mean, huge performance against the Pacers on Sunday. 114-100 to 100 win yesterday as the... Clippers are slowly figuring it out here in the Western Conference, gaining their footing 12-9 and nine now, fifth place in the Western Conference. I mean, Zubak, career game. I mean, this is an all-time performance. This is up there with some of, I mean, I think he was the third player to have a 30-point, uh, 29 rebound game with, I, I forget if there was another stat included, but entered some elite company with the performance in terms of statistical achievements. And, I mean, he shot 82.4% from the field in that game. It just an absolute masterclass performance. I, I think it might have been, yeah, he was the first person to have that stat line. I think it was uh, 30 points, 25 rebounds at least, and shooting over 80% from the field. I think only two other NBA players are done it, have done it. He becomes the third, and I think the first since Shaquille O'Neal to do it in 2004. So, huge. I mean, that's going to go down in history as, like, a performance. And not from a guy that you'd be expecting it from as coming into the game, he's only averaging 10.5 points, 11.6 rebounds, and 1.4 assists on the season. I mean, Zubac has been quietly getting better these last these years that he's been in the league. I, he started with the Lakers, I'm fairly certain, and then he went over to the Clippers side, which is where he's really thrived um, under the basket. And obviously this game is a showing out game for Zubak and perhaps maybe a sign of things to come. I mean, I think he has the potential, and I've always kind of seen the potential of him to be a 20-point, 15-rebound guy, and I think that's something that they could definitely mold into there in L.A. I mean, that would be huge for their lineup right now, not necessarily having the consistency from Kawhi that they want in their lineup, just needing not too much more, but I, they're right on the precipice there. A big man that can consistently hold down the paint for them while also putting up points in that area is would be huge for this Clippers team. Yeah, I mean, Zubak is a, a bright spot for the Clippers. It's I'm I, I really enjoy... Uh, that we're getting more of like these like big kind of classic style centers like Zubak. Um, I mean, I'm like those guys, like he just showed the other night, like he, those guys can do so much good for a team. And like a team that's trying to make it to the finals too and make uh, a long playoff run, you 
you really need a big man because if you look at the rest of the NBA, <coughs> DeAndre Ayton, um, who just uh, got back-to-back double-doubles. But if, if you look at the rest of the NBA, um, yeah, you need, you need a solid big man that you feel confident putting up against the likes of Giannis and Ayton and uh, Philly guy. I'm spacing Joel on the Embiid. name right now. Embiid. Yeah, Embiid. Philly guy. <laughs> Yeah, oh, dude. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this back back to the point. Yeah, it's he's he, he was big, and it's uh, the Clippers had a had a had a bright spot. Yeah, no, the Clippers have been dealing with a lot of injuries. They did not have in their last game against the Pacers. They didn't have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, or Luke Kennard, who's been a really good three point shooter his whole career. The Kawhi Leonard injury struggles are still very apparent he's just so frustrating it, it's it's very frustrating especially as a fantasy owner of Kawhi Leonard especially as a for, or as a San, a San Diego, Diego State, State guy <laughs> you know from San Diego watched Kawhi playing his uh or his final year of college I don't remember if it was officially a senior year but that uh, year uh San Diego State went on that final March Madness run so just the league is better with Kawhi in it. We saw it in Toronto. It became one of the best stories in the league. Kawhi is one of the most likable players across the NBA. So just having him, I mean, unless you're playing against him. but Or you're a Philly fan. Eh. <laughs> Kawhi was, sorry, Kawhi was doing it on one leg in those playoffs too. Like, if, yeah. looking back on it, that was that's such an impressive performance. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's like, it's so sad he's not, he's not playing because he's such a fun talent to watch. Such a fun guy, you know? But, I mean, this team has guys. I mean, you see, uh, I mean, if Paul George can get healthy, if John Wall keeps putting up 12 a game off the bench, you know, obviously no longer the player he once was, but still finding his way to contribute to the Clippers now. It, it They're a team that could knock a team out of the uh, – surprise a team in the playoffs is what I'm saying. Like, once they reach the postseason, I think that they could they could be a team that sneakily can get an upset, if healthy. Well, I think if healthy, this Clippers team is not this the upending team in terms of an upset. I think they're the... I think this team... I don't think they're a contender, but they're defi- they definitely would not be the one to get upset. I, I would say, at a peak, they are a three seed. All right, all right, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. No, and, I, I see what you're saying. And even at that point, I think that might be saying a lot. Like, obviously, it's yeah. like with every with all the NBA too. It's like if healthy, but sorry guys, this this they they walk dominoes past the studio. It looked delicious. But <laughs> back back to the point. It's like yeah, it's I I I could see him as a three two when healthy if they get a healthy Kawhi back and he's able to be some resemblance of his former self. Then they could definitely make a run. And, yeah, maybe they not necessarily being the upset team. But, at, I mean, as it is right now, I, I think you're right. I don't, I don't see them being that much of a contender. I just I, I hold the Suns, Nuggets, Grizzlies in high regard. I think that the Kings are a team that, depending on how many runs they can figure out over the course of the season, could go. I mean, obviously the Jazz had a hot start to the season, and we'll get to them a little bit more later. But... I mean, and the Mavericks are still down there at 9 and 10. The Warriors haven't made a play to really get up there in the standings yet. Yeah, they have. And there's a – so, I mean, there's just right there, you know, four, five, six teams in the Western Conference that I feel like could even be held above the Clippers. So that's the only reason why I talk upset territory possibly. But 
You said something about the Warriors not making moves to get up in the standings. Yesterday, they put 137 up on the Timberwolves to jump their spot into the top 10. 11 and 10 now in ninth place in the Western Conference. Three-game win streak. Hey, Warriors figuring it out. Like I said, so they're they, a team that they, can pass the Clippers and this entire thing, and eventually... They still don't have a big man. Yeah. That's their downfall. I don't think they can go far without a big man. Too bad. Well, the Clippers, yeah. No, I think the Clippers can get passed by... There's multiple teams that the Clippers can get passed by, but now the, these Western Conference standings are really starting to shake out, honestly. Um, the, the Blazers and the Jazz, they were, they were at the top for their time, but now sitting at the seven and eight seeds respectively, the Jazz have kind of, they, they've started to fall off as of late four game losing streak. Evan, I know you want to get into them a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, the Jazz just have been a bit of a disappointment over this last run this last week on Monday, lost to the LA Clippers, 121 to 114. On Wednesday versus Detroit, dropping that one, 125-116. to 116. Shout out Detroit, getting a win is always something to celebrate. At Golden State, 129-118. to 118. So, again, an 11-point loss there. And then at Phoenix, closer one. <laughs> Might have made you a little bit nervous, but on Saturday, they narrowly fall 113-112 to 112 and are now 12-10 and 10 on the season after, I mean, like we said, just the, at the start of last week, they were 12-6 and six near the top of the conference, and now really taking a tumble over this last week, it's just unexpected from this Jazz group. I mean, we, we knew that they wouldn't hold that top spot and be that team forever, but how quickly it fell apart and how far they've fallen that quickly is a little bit surprising. You know, I don't even necessarily think... I, I, I wouldn't necessarily like count them out yet. When we talk about upset teams, I I would like the Jazz as an upset team. I mean, maybe in, in end of the season we maybe see them like get a, a like a play-in spot or something. But th- the Jazz they th- the Jazz got shooters. They they spaced the floor really well. And yeah, in that in that Suns game, they they were knocking down threes all night. And like to to beat the Suns who are at the top of the conference the standings like you need to. The only way to beat them is to make 20 or threes or more, and they were doing that. So, like you said, it 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 was scary to watch. Like I definitely wouldn't count them out yet. They they could definitely upset somebody. No, I'm not. I wouldn't necessarily count them out. Like out out, but obviously they were at the one seed for so long. They were the NBA's last undefeated team. But obviously, with a team like the Jazz, they're they're supposed to be going through a rebuild. And I know Danny Ainge is not very happy about that right now because. He's not going to get his lottery picks. I'm going to warn you guys, though. This schedule coming up for the Jazz does not get any easier. I'll run it down for you. Monday, which I think is tonight, actually. No, they're, they're, they're up by, right they're they're up by the eight Chicago points. Bulls. Mm-hmm. The up quarter. by eight points. That game started at 7 p.m. Wednesday, they play the L.A. Clippers at home, obviously. They, the loss to them last Monday started their four-game losing skid. Uh, Friday... They play against the Indiana Pacers and Benny Matt. Noah. Benny Matherin? Yeah. Falling out. He hasn't been. He's slower week. Slow week, but he's playing LeBron tonight. That should be a game. Hey, real chance to take down the GOAT early in his career. But then Saturday, um, the Utah Jazz 
play versus Portland at 7 p.m. And, I mean, going into next week as well, they play Golden State, they play Minnesota at Denver, versus, and then two games versus New Orleans. Like, this is a, I don't want to say a murderer's row here of a, teams because they're kind of mixed throughout the field but it there's no easy there's no hand handout wins in this next stretch of scheduling and I think it's going to be important for this team to see how they compete and how they can go over a course of period with consistent competition and I think it can be revealing to I mean we I feel like every week we end up finding a team that's about to go on a run that defines them as a team a little bit because of just matchups and I, the jazz this week, uh, coming off a losing streak, this, uh, next run at games is going to be huge on whether they turn it around or, um, continue to falter. The jazz too also, uh, do not have a great big man. One, one of the reasons Aiton was able to have such a successful game against him, um, is because he was just pounding the boards against Lori Markin and, and Kelly Olenek, who, is really not who you, you want protecting your paint. Um, so that like that that's another reason why like that's that might be their downfall as well. But they they can I, I think I, I can see them catching someone. They can I, I can see them catching some teams throughout the season. Um, and I you know, we'll see. But like I said, shooters. Yeah, I think shooters. you want Kelly Olynyk coming off the bench for about eight minutes, doing his job, and then getting your top guy a rest. But to have him guarding the paint is a uh, I'd say a concerning situation if you're a Jazz faithful. Well, I think the Jazz faithful have to be thankful that they're in this position and they actually can be fighting for something right now. True. I mean, after the uh, moves that they made this offseason, after the moves that they made this offseason, you know, they've been trying to figure it out with a new identity at lineup, obviously. Colin Sexton kind of the lead of that front court now. Error backcourt, my bad. But, um... And again, all, all respect to Olenek leading the team with 1.3 steals. So getting it done a little bit defensively, but that's not saying much. Kelly uh, Olenek just, fan club. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think I grew my hair out, guys? <laughs> but no, the Jazz are a team that definitely sold this offseason and uh, any sort of success that they can find during this um, maybe identity shifting period it, it can be taken as a win for them as an organization. I, I definitely think so. And Danny Ainge as an executive has always been, he's been a pretty solid executive, obviously with the Celtics for a number of years. But no, building this Jazz team up, selling both Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert to the Cavs and Timberwolves respectively, I mean, getting a big, just getting a bunch of different random players, honestly. Lowry Market and Colin Sexton was not the dynamic duo I knew I needed in the NBA. But I... I you know what, Colin Sexton from the Cavs for Donovan Mitchell, one of my favorite players in the league. Um, the Cavs, that's going to be my Eastern Conference team of the week. Evans, obviously, the Jazz. But the Cleveland Cavaliers, sitting at third place in the Eastern Conference right now, a loss today to the Toronto Raptors, 100-88. to The Raptors are a huge team, and I, I understand why they lost because the Raptors are a big man lineup, Scotty Barnes. Pascal Siakam, Christian Coloco, it's a big lineup. And the Cavs, they are not that big. They're not that big of a lineup. They've got a lot of small ball guys. Donovan Mitchell, Karis Silvert, Darius Garland, just to name a few. I mean, the Cavs, this Cavs team has the potential to be 
a good team. Like obviously it's the Cavs and they've had some success and any the, team that has Donovan yeah, Mitchell. Any, yeah, no, Donovan Mitchell really brings that special spark to a team. That he brought it to the Jazz and the Jazz made the playoffs every year he was there. I mean, it you can't really ask for much more from a guy putting up fifty seven points in a He's really quietly game. been just like one of those guys no. that it like immediately turns a team into a team. No, he's he's just been always a solid contributor, and the Cavs have young talent too that they have alongside him. They have Evan Mobley, and again, like I said, Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro off the bench. Um, yeah, they just have a lot of. Their team is very well built, but I think this team still has chemistry, and not necessarily chemistry issues, but just like. The things that make a solid team a solid team, like coming together and actually like everybody doing their part at once. Like I think that's something that the Cavs need to yeah. going forward. I, yeah, I've, I've really liked the Cavs this year. I love watching Cleveland when I think I've maybe said this before, but I love watching Cleveland being successful without LeBron. That's and like uh, Mitchell's a really big part of that. I mean, they brought in a superstar who immediately made all their young guys better. Um, you mentioned some of the guys there, but yeah, the, and the Cavs, and we were not even—they wouldn't even be an upset team either. If you, they, you, we can easily see them maybe being two, three, four seed in the playoffs. No, right now, yeah, they're sitting, sitting at third, third at yeah. thirteen and seven in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, they're 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 really good. I think, I think too, it's just I I having this like grandness in the NBA, seeing these other teams uh, uh, get hot like this, it's it is kind of encouraging for some of those other teams like the Jazz who we were talking about not necessarily being at the bottom of the deck right now and being able to rebuild a little bit. Um, so, yeah, the Cavs have shown they've, they've, they're still coming up on their rebuild and they've shown that they may be able to compete with uh, those the, the higher Eastern Conference teams. No, and looking at their Eastern Conference record right now, pulling up the standings, the Cavaliers are 11 and 3 against conference opponents so far this season getting it done within, you know, obviously it's playoff field early in the season. I think that's going to be huge and I think they've kind of put everyone on notice that hey, we're here that we're a team that's going to win the games that we should and we're going to compete in every game otherwise, which I think makes any team dangerous in the NBA because all you need is in that final two minutes to put yourself within striking distance and this is a team that is consistently able to do that. No, and I think that this is a team like yeah we've been saying this is they're going to be a consistent team in the conference too. They've they have a couple wins over the Celtics and a loss to the Celtics so far. Celtics obviously the top dog top in the dog right in the now, East and the NBA and right now, um, putting on an absolute clinic against the Charlotte Hornets today. But no, yeah, this Cavs team I'm very excited to see them. I this is the only Cleveland team I can actually stand to watch, like in any sport. And doing it without LeBron, I when they had LeBron, I was not a huge fan because the Warriors had to play the Cavs every single year, and I just got tired of seeing the Cavs. But now as they fell off for a couple seasons, and now they're back to fruition with a whole new team with a bunch of players that I'm a fan of, I'm I'm a really big fan of this team. Like, I think they can go pretty far. I I'm gonna get behind any team that has Donovan Mitchell on it. I think I think that's my only take here. <laughs> yeah, no, I he's when yeah when you're you love to have him, you hate playing against him. That's he's he's one of those guys really. Um, 
and I he's I, he's such he's a good fit in Cleveland too, like we were talking about earlier. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's all I really got on it. He's 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 too good. Cleveland is looking good. Yeah, and Cleveland's upcoming schedule. I mean, like we said, you got trying to run it in this East. I mean, one of the top contenders right now. They play against Philadelphia on Wednesday. They play. They have a game against Orlando, which should be an easier win on Friday and on Sunday are at New York. So getting getting some Eastern Conference action this week, a chance to gain some traction on the conference. I mean, it, three winnable games with that one against the 76ers should be a bit of a battle. And looking at it too, like I'm I'm surprised the Pacers are fourth in the East right now as well. Like I mean, the the Cavs could go far just simply because the East isn't as good as we would expect. I mean, the the Sixers are right there at twelve and nine right now, and they still got good players who need who can figure it out. But like the rest of the Eastern Conference is still a toss up of who is going to be there at the end, uh, fighting fighting Milwaukee or Boston. I think both conferences are really toss ups right now. The West is just crazy right now i think the difference between the first seed and the ninth seed is three games which is crazy and in the east that same difference is six and a half games so honestly i think the west is a lot more has a lot more parity than the east right now obviously well the celtics that's an outlier because it's the celtics and they've just been doing spectacular um but yeah no seeing surprise team well not necessarily surprise teams like in history, but surprise teams the, these last couple of years, like the Pacers sitting at the fourth seed right now, 11 and eight. The Pacers were perennial playoff attendees and they, they're back here in the playoffs. They, they don't have to go through LeBron to get through the East, but I, I don't know. I, I like to see a playoff field with teams that we were used to seeing, honestly. No. And like you said, teams that we're used to seeing this year in the Eastern conference is strange. You look down at the bottom of the conference. Let's look through those six and below seeds you have the raptors down there the hawks are at eight the nets are at nine miami heat at 10 new york knicks at 11 and bulls at 12 remember last year these were all teams that were right in the mix in that playoff field and i mean the bulls sitting far down at eight and 11 in 12th but i mean they're slowly trying to figure it out and get it going they got a win last week against boston in a huge game and then on the other end, a team that we kind of talked about figuring it out, getting some back-to-back wins, the Warriors having wins against the Clippers, Utah Jazz, and Minnesota Timberwolves last week, 3-1. and one. These are two teams that are kind of, um, I mean, expected a lot of this year. I mean, obviously the Warriors coming off a title run, and the Bulls have a loaded roster with tons of scores and should be able to compete in their conference and make push for the playoffs this Friday. 8 p.m. on ESPN, these two teams meet up. And this is, I think, a huge matchup. I mean, it's very rarely where... I mean, not rarely, because obviously there's some marquee matchups across conferences, but it's just kind of an average matchup between two teams across conferences ends up being this big of a deal, especially this early in their seasons with two teams that expected to be doing better, but obviously Steve Kerr coaching against his former team, the Bulls, it's going to be a fun clash, but I just – which way do you see this going? Uh, not biased at all. 
No sarcasm in my voice whatsoever. I see this going in the way of the Warriors because they've been on a hot streak, winning four games in a row. Steph Curry's been shooting the lights out. This last game against the Timberwolves, Curry, Clay Thompson, and Jordan Poole all were over 20 points, and they kept saying Clay was done. Clay was not going to play well, but no, he's been having a pretty good run as the as of late. So I think this one goes the way of the Warriors. I mean, the Bulls last Monday beat Boston. Last Wednesday, get a win in Milwaukee before losing to Oklahoma City in overtime on Friday. I mean, they're really hit or miss. You can't really get a – I mean, I can't get a good read on this team. Nate, do you lean any which way in this matchup? I, You know, I looking looking at the Bulls this week, uh, they, they're uh, – they're going. Uh, they're going on uh, a, a road stand right now. And Wednesday they actually play Phoenix. So I Friday, they are either going to be looking for revenge because they just lost, um, which is most likely the case. But <laughs> I I I like the Warriors there too. Um, I mean the the Bulls are good, but I think just basing my uh, basing my takeoff uh, history in the NBA and a mid team going on a road streak. I don't, I, I don't, I don't see them pulling one out on Friday. I see. Yeah. I mean, this is a six-game road trip that they're on the middle on right now. They were at Milwaukee and at Oklahoma City tonight at Utah, like you said on Wednesday at Phoenix. Before Friday, that game is in Golden State. Before Sunday, finishing up this road trip at Sacramento. Just a run here for the Bulls. And honestly, looking at that schedule, especially Sacramento playing a little bit better against some uh, poor competition, but still uh, holding their own and more games than we'd expect out of them. They'd be lucky to get a win out of this road trip or uh, out of this stretch of the road trip because they did take the win against Milwaukee. No, I think so. I think, I think this is going to go to the way of the Warriors. Yeah. But then um, Western conference Clippers blazers, playing on Tuesday, tomorrow night, 8 p.m. on TNT. Again, these are two teams right in the middle of the Western Conference right now, deking it out for position. Do you guys have any opinions, thoughts on this game? Honestly, I I think this is going to be a basketball game. There's two teams playing basketball. I don't really have a stake in this one. I think the Clippers are going to take this one. I feel like it's a lot of the same for NBA regular season basketball across the board. It's not, but... Hey, some of these matchups in we won't recognize it until we reach the playoffs later in the season but these are the matchups that we could end up seeing and give us a little bit of taste of what potential playoff matchups could look like Nathan do you have any uh do you lean any way on this Clippers game I know we talked about Vika Zubak having a huge game earlier and this Clippers team kind of um coming together as a whole but going against the Portland Trailblazers been dealing with a little bit of injury issues but Anthony Simmons hot this season which uh what you thinking yeah man I'm um, Portland it's seem they're they're destined to fall off at some point but uh, you mentioned Zubox yeah we got Zubok and uh Nurkic you know battle battle. battle of the paint which is what we love to see so I I, I guess we're doing wins and losses I, I I like the Clippers in this one um but yeah, you know, I'm I'm gonna tune in just just to watch that battle in the paint, watch blood fly. There's nothing I love more in the NBA than uh, than than a rebound battle. Rebound battle, mm-hmm. man, love those. I think that's gonna wrap it up for us here for our NBA segment. This has been your host Noah Butler here with Evan McNeely and Nate Ecker's gonna 
leave us here, but this has been the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. Thanks, Nate. Thank you, Nate. Welcome back to the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm your host, Noah Butler, joined alongside Evan McNeilia. And it's time for everybody's favorite part of the week, the real-life example. I love the real-life example. Now, this week, we're going to be getting, you know, last time I did one of these, I, I went, I talked about the Colts. The Colts are playing right now, up 17-16 on the Steelers. And we're going to go back to the Colts because there's a lot of things up with them. You know, there's a lot of things you can compare the Colts to. And I remember in my days of high school, the physics teacher position, that, that, that teaching position, was always a roundabout job. It was always a roundabout job. Teachers, it, yeah, the year before I got there, there was a teacher who I actually had as a middle school math teacher, and then he got fired. And then my freshman year, there was another teacher, and they got fired. And then my sophomore year, when I took physics, there were two new physics teachers, one of whom got fired. And now after I leave, that position is now stable. So I don't know. But tying this to the Colts here, the Colts have had a rotunda, a long list, a long laundry list of quarterbacks since 29-year-old Andrew Luck retired back at the beginning of 2019. This laundry list, I'm going to go into it a little bit. Jacoby Brissett started 15 games for them for the Colts after Luck retired. Brian Hoyer played one game, lost that game. Phil Rivers, who went 11 and 5 last season, two seasons ago. Pretty, uh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty solid. No, it was last 2020. 2020. Right? Yeah, 2020. Pretty solid for them. They still didn't make the playoffs because the Steelers beat them late in the season. Um, Carson Wentz, last season. It just It's Carson Wentz. At, they lost to the, the Jaguars. And now Matt Ryan. And also Sam Ellinger played a couple games because Frank Reich was ousted. But, yeah, no, this, this Colts, the Colts quarterback position has kind of felt like my, like that physics position in my school. It just keeps going in and out and in and out. There's no consistency. The students don't get to learn. They don't get to have a consistent system of offense. And it also harkens to, you know, the defense against the dark arts position in Harry Potter where they had a new one every year because they either died or had to retire because they were a werewolf or something, something of the sort. Like, it's just a, yeah. That reminds me of uh, my middle school. I'm not going to even name it because I don't want to get any accreditation. That's not why I'm in college. I don't want to <laughs> give it any credit whatsoever. But no, I went to this middle school. It was a charter middle school in San Diego. And every single position, almost every single year, like after sixth grade, you you moved to seventh grade, obviously, unless unless you didn't. Unless <laughs> yes, you didn't. Yeah. That's on you. But um, no, there's almost never a same English teacher for the sixth or seventh grade level at that English school. My three years there, they, it was rotating every single year, and my entire way through. I mean, they had to change. I think the history professors, like, because obviously, um. It was a small charter middle school. We had a uh, one teacher for each grade for each subject. For, so we had one English teacher for sixth grade, one English teacher for seventh grade, one English teacher for eighth grade. And so it would be rotating constantly in just um, based off of play, teachers leaving and whatnot. And I, I, I 
I don't think that the teaching conditions at this school were very great based off of how high the turnover rate was. But yeah, it felt like every single department, no matter it be math, English, social studies, science, the it, or even some of our language professors left or came and or changed over our time there, which, you know, a middle school with only 300 students, you know pretty much all the teachers. So it, it's tight, it's close, and it, just a rotating door. And then you look at the cults, it's that same lack of familiarity. And it ever since Andrew left, the cults haven't been able to build a culture. No. I, I kind of want to go back to the middle school thing because I can definitely one-up you on this. Oh my I think my middle school, it was, it was seventh and eighth grade. I also went to a private middle school. Also not going to name that. <laughs> yeah, um, that school has since gone to crap uh, or bad looks, we should say. Um, but, you know, that school, it's, I think there were 60 people in my graduating eighth grade class. It was just seventh and eighth grade. It was one side of the hallway. One side of the hallway. One side. Yeah, there was there was one teacher for seventh and eighth grade science. There was one teacher for seventh grade literature, eighth grade English, and then vice versa. <laughs> there oh, was a math teacher. Everyone doing double there was a math teacher who taught three different, like eighth grade math, ninth grade math, and geometry. Were there new teachers almost every year? Oh no, too? no, no. they oh, they were all so consistent. They, so they were good. No, yeah, but I just wanted to one up you on the on the middle school thing. No, because that, that sounds chaos. And then there was yeah, it it was the art teacher and the Spanish teacher were in the same room. But no, just that same way the turnover though, it, like your physics yeah. position, my middle school as a whole. As a whole, just, that's no. I think that's more. It's the turnover that it do, yeah it doesn't allow you to create a culture. No, that's a, that, a I think your middle school is a lot closer to what the Coles organization actually is. Oh no, I it just uh, in terms of teachers having to pull double duty, we feel for you. <laughs> no, I know, but like, <laughs> no. yeah. So yeah, Colts quarterback defense against the dark arts question mark. <laughs> Harry Potter. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna watch the first one when I go home tonight. Uh, have uh, you you seen all of them? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, you uh, better. Uh, no, okay. I, I've seen all of them. Okay. I just, I'm gonna go home well, and start them tonight. Harry again. Potter. They had a Quidditch World Cup. You know that kind of leads perfectly into our final segment here. It's the World Cup. I mean, it's once every four it's years. Once every and four as years. As we said last week on our show, we don't support, condone, or anything that goes went into this year's World Cup. All we're here for is the soccer competition and the world's game. So <coughs> we're coming up on a uh, big, uh, huge, huge, huge game tomorrow. Not only game tomorrow, but week in terms of games. Yeah. Uh, the first two rounds of first two matches, whichever you want to call it, of each of the group stages is completely finished. So every group now has its win stipulations set. Some teams, teams have already advanced. Some Res teams have already yeah. advanced. Some have been eliminated. Host Nation Qatar got out in the second game. The fastest. The uh, first time the host nation's gone out that fast. Yeah. That's the pretty bad. And uh, if they don't score, they'll be the first host nation to not score. I don't think they scored. Oh, did they score oh, wait, one no, goal? No, they did score. I'm sorry. Oh. They, did, they got a goal. They did they, get a goal, I guess. But... No, well, it, that it has been an all-time low for I would just remember thinking Well, I don't the other think there's been an all-time high for Qatar. That no. team they wouldn't <laughs> I don't think they'd ever qualify for World Cup in any other situation. The only reason they qualified is that. Yeah. But yeah, the US tomorrow go into a Iran. Iran. 
They're going against Iran. Yeah. That's a huge game. Both, there, there's a lot of ways in which this game is. Win and in. Win and in. Draw or loss and it's done. But, no, the, the, this game is very charged in multiple, multiple ways. I don't want to get, uh, we'll just get into the football way. Iran, the solid nation from the Middle East. Um, England came out swinging against them. No, they gave up six goals to England. And as you know, the last game, the United States drew against England, who was powerhouse. But then Iran did get the uh, winning over Wales, who the U.S. drew. So drew. it's created a little bit of drama here. Yeah. In Who's going to win? Group B. Uh, Wales has to win. Yeah, they're in last place at the bottom of Group B. And they're playing England, obviously. And with the win, they get four points. They have to rely on some stuff, though. They'd either need they need Iran to lose to the USA. Or, no, they'd need Iran and the USA to draw while also beating England by... They have the same goal differential right now. So as long as they were to get the win against England and Iran and the U.S. were to just draw, Iran couldn't win and they couldn't lose because the U.S. would have the point breaker over Iran or over Wales. So it would just clash here. And this is why they play the games at the same time, obviously. In no other round are there shotgun starts, but both Group B games will be played at the same time. Both Group A games will be played at the same time tomorrow. And that's to ensure because of how many stipulations go into these matches in terms of tiebreakers, score differential, goals allowed, um, win-loss record, direct heads-up record, um, the fact that draws can also be okay for your team in some situations. They have them start at the same time, so neither team's really aware on the field of what the situation is in the other game so that it, integrity of the game. But it, this group already is one of them that has plenty of uh, intricacies to it. And another win and in game is, isn't it Ghana, Uruguay? I'm pretty sure that's the other win and in game. Looking down at group H, which has Portugal, Ghana, South Korea, and Uruguay. Portugal qualified with six points, two wins, winning their first two matches against Ghana and Uruguay. They play South Korea in their final match and uh, though obviously Portugal already qualified but Ghana like you said they get a win here they're in done Uh, no questions asked thing is uh, I think with a draw and a loss or potentially just no maybe with a loss if South or Sorry, I'm getting the matchups. Ghana and Uruguay are playing. So, with a draw and a South Korea loss, they would be okay. With a loss, Uruguay would take their spot as the second team in the field, so long as South Korea doesn't also beat Portugal, who obviously doesn't necessarily need to win this game. But like you said, Ghana, win and they're in. They draw, and they have to uh, rely on a little bit of a... Point differential and a goal differential. Yeah, no, the, the World Cup is always just chaos. Like, group stage, it's just chaos. I, I like it, though. I wish Americans, I wish more American sports would adopt the groups, like, the groups. I, I think that'd I be very cool. I wonder if there was a way that we could do it 
either with college soccer, which would be super cool with the uh, NCAA tournament and if it, doing host cities and they made it more like a Grand March Madness sort of thing with soccer. I think it could be done with volleyball. I think it could... I think it would be coolest to see with football. I think America's I, no, greatest I think game you getting can, the treatment. I think you can definitely do that with sports football. With the groups and stuff, it'd be difficult. It would take longer, more weeks. It would be tedious to figure out, but uh, if possible, uh, just bring groups to more sports and for qualification purposes, just it allows more participants and more variation. It's a lot more chaotic too. So I, yeah, there's a lot more. Looking at group. A, obviously, host nation, Qatar, we just talked about, eliminated from the World Cup, 0-2 in their first two matches, with only one goal scored and having conceded five, negative four goal differential. They play Netherlands, who have four points currently, technically the top team in their group, with a plus two goal differential and um, the draw with Ecuador. So, I mean, them and Ecuador are tied neck and neck right now, but... Obviously, Ecuador and Senegal are going to have to deke it out. Ecuador also has four points in the top of the group. Senegal has three. So a draw Equi- a draw, and Ecuador's in. The Netherlands in the same situation where a winner or a draw and they're in. Senegal, if they win, and Qatar uh, draws, the, or Qatar not draws, but beats the Netherlands, yeah. which we'll see if we see. I mean, it's a possibility. Yeah. But Senegal would have a chance to clinch over either of them in that situation. These are a lot of very complex winning scenarios. I'm looking here at Evan's notes, and there's just a lot of W's, D's. There's a lot of brackets around stuff. I mean, it's very complicated, obviously, because group stages are very complicated. But I think, I think in, in terms of a broad sense, I think we're going to see the best. Well, obviously, you're going to see the best 16 teams come out. Mm-hmm. Um. France, Brazil, Portugal have already qualified. Three top teams who have looked really teams. strong early on. France overcoming some midfield injuries and issues that, I mean, they didn't foresee coming coming into the World Cup, obviously. Benzema out for them. And, but they figured it out and were one of the first teams to qualify for the round of 16. No, yeah, the France team... They've broken that World Cup curse that they that they did not win their first game, and I think this team it, they have all the pieces they need to to repeat. There's no reason. Kylian Mbappe is playing in League Uh or League One, um, which is not the greatest league in the world by any stretch of the imagination. Their their second best team is probably Marseille, maybe, but no PSG. They have the Avengers. Mbappe's playing for his national team against the best stage, and he's still playing spectacularly. So I think this leads into players going to new places, too, because I saw something. I saw a post about Kristen Pulisic, and there were a bunch of transfer offers from him for him to go from Chelsea to a bunch of different places. So, like, it's opening up a lot of different I mean, possibilities. I these clubs a lot of the time. They're playing at the time that a lot of these yeah, other no. guys are playing. This they is the international break, yeah. stuff, But you get an international break, and these clubs get to sit back and just watch some guys. Interest is going to peak. Yeah, no. Leo Messi, I saw something this morning that he is poised to sign the largest MLS contract in history with Inter-Miami. Messi to the MLS? Messi to the MLS. That is a huge global thing. Almost what Pele did... When he went to the New York Cosmos back in the the 70s when the N, 
the NSL was growing. Yeah, no. That's maybe even um I mean, getting more of these top flight guys over to the MLS is gonna be huge for growing the league. Obviously this summer back in July, Gareth Bale, Welsh, obviously group B fellow competitor transfers over to LAFC helps them win their championship this past year in the MLS just a huge the more guy obviously I mean and Americans might be annoyed with me saying this especially those that are super partial to American soccer but getting international guys to come over here and play in our league is so good it's gonna help grow the league to new heights and really put us on a map where we're not really respected or looked at in the same light of any other soccer competing, you know, like professional level countries. And it, it, I mean, not any, obviously, but we're talking the top of the top. We're not held in the light of the England's, the Germany's, the Spain's, the Italy's, but the more players that come over here from those leagues, the more players that compete at a high level over here. And the more players that just, want to come compete in America, it, it's going to just allow our game to grow here so much. And I think that'll further help the national team for the future. No. And I think, I think a main part of the reason why the United States has not been able to grow as a soccer football nation is because in order to get into like high levels of soccer, you have to play club soccer, which involves spending lots of money at sometimes like, I remember my buddies, they used to have to pay 150 bucks every season just to play. To play soccer. Like, I, I, I understand uniform costs and everything, but if you... Can't you get a team communal kit? <laughs> yeah, just get, like, like, a custom ink or something like that. But not, I mean, it's like personalized jerseys. So that's where the actual good kids go play. I played just AYSO youth soccer, and, like, we had... We had our nice uniforms, and like I, I still have all of them to this day. Yeah, you got that it's just little like, nice, yeah. like a, sh- and not, not sheer, but it's like um, that, that it's jersey, like, re- yeah. almost like it's, reflective it's, coloring t- material. Yeah, no, but that's some. I don't know. It's just something that the United States needs to focus on. Like, there's a lot of other sports I know, like football, basketball, baseball, that we're all spectacular. At. Like our country's spectacular at all those sports. All our athletes go to play those sports instead. Yeah, no, of they soccer. don't. Th- there's no encouragement to go play soccer, and there's, there's no reason why you'd go play soccer over something like basketball, where there's so much stuff set in stone in place that you can just go pick up and play. Like soccer is a lot harder to pick up and play if you're someone who's not as wealthy as, or I, th- there's just not as much access to it in I the United like States. In the United States, no, but. It, thing is, is it should be. Soccer is the easiest accessible sport. All it takes is an object to kick around, move around, and it, anything. I mean, you don't even need a goal. Like, no, you, a did, goal you, you just a need, ball. you need like two things to put a ball between like two chairs or two. You can like, use anything. Can and that's why it's anything. the biggest sport internationally is because. Because it you can just is that do easy. it wherever you want. I mean, basketball, you need a 10 foot hoop. Are those constructed everywhere? Not necessarily. No. To play full 11-on-11 11 11 football as it's meant to be played, you need a lot of pads, field goals, And referees, that many people that actually want to play And 22 it. people. At least. At least. Because somebody's going to get injured. <laughs> Someone will definitely get injured. No, yeah. No, soccer's then, just easy to pick up. I mean, up. baseball. You're dealing with a oh, baseball, hard, baseball's, hardball, yeah. metal bat. Uh, you need a helmet. 
the cleat, I mean, you don't technically need cleats, but it makes it a little bit difficult on the dirt yeah. of an inside diamond. Like, it's just, there's no reason that more Americans shouldn't be playing soccer. And it, honestly, it's because of, it, I don't, not that soccer is not cool. I'm not saying it's not. I think soccer is cool. But I think from a kid's perspective, when you watch a receiver make a play downfield, when you watch a center fielder hit a home run, and when you watch a guy dunk a basketball, and when you watch a guy score a goal, the last one there scoring a goal is probably the least exciting or like wow factor in the American sports scene. There's some incredible goals, don't get me wrong, but there's also some very lackluster calm goals. Not to say that there's not some surprise home runs, but it, the bigger moment in as it's recognized in the American audience and media will always be the touchdown. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And I'm not saying it's right, but I think until... I mean, and it has to do U.S. soccer again. Not great, not publicly like uh, looked at. And then you have um, the national team underperforming consistently. Consistently didn't even make the World Cup in 2018. Like, you need to see your people. You need to be represented at the top level in order to grow something. And I feel like America's been lacking that top level talent. And it's hurt the reputation of the game within the country. But I don't know. This year's World Cup team, I think, especially with the, some good performances they've had, it definitely feels like any year that the U.S. is in the World Cup, it re-peaks interest in soccer. No, I definitely think the U.S. talent has gotten better. Like this year's talent, there's a couple guys. The golden generation, right? Yeah, let's hope so. Captain Tyler Adams, he's, he's just been a spectacular captain, like as a person. I saw an interview this morning uh, where was, he was being interviewed by an Iranian journalist who was kind of hitting him with the gotcha questions, like, why is the U.S. racist? Why is the U.S. this, this, and that? And he was like, he, he just spoke very earnestly, and he said, well, like, exactly what you'd expect a captain to say. And I think that really, this is, yeah, a golden generation of not only players, but, like, just men in general, like, the U.S. men, they've been, I, I don't know. It's a respectable bunch of athletes. Yeah, no. It's uh, people that you want to look up to on and off the field, I think. And I think that's important. And, I mean, it's uh, that 2014 run where U.S. made the round of 16 tough match against Belgium. Tim Howard had an epic game with. Yeah, 16 saves. Something like that, but obviously unable to get it done. U.S. doesn't score in that one and drops and is eliminated by Belgium. It, I just, as an American, I'd, I'd like to see more out of this team. My entire real-life example last week is about the patriotism I feel towards the American national team as opposed to the country itself. It, it's, it's really frustrating, and it's just hard to be interested in soccer when your team's not doing well on a national scale and seeing the u.s back in the world cup in a big elimination game with a chance to advance to the round of 16 with a win out of their group like with wales england and iran who put up a great performance against wales like you can't you can't fault that you can't it, it's rejuvenating to see it's re-exciting to see it, it brings up a New excitement for soccer, I think, in the country. And I just, it's going to be important. And tying this all back to what started this conversation, talent coming to the MLS with Messi, and it just huge, huge for the sport. It, it really is huge. 
Messi, one of my favorite players, potentially, coming to Los Angeles, and I could go watch Messi and play. And he's playing a regular season club match. Well, that's gonna LA. be that's gonna be incredibly expensive, you know, because he oh, is gonna yeah, bring no, he, so much revenue, so much revenue, not only for the MLS, but like, just a, uh, he's gonna be in America. That's that gives huge. clubs higher transfer budgets. That, yeah, that's huge. He's just one player. It's just one player. He, I mean, that's he's crazy. been the face of soccer no, he, he's for been, the past yeah. ten plus years. Yeah, almost twenty years now. Yeah, no. Lionel Messi, wow. Three of my favorite athletes in the same country. Well, actually, all of my favorite athletes would be in the same country if Messi does come to Miami. Speaking of that qualifying group, Argentina in Group C, obviously, Lionel Messi potentially playing in his final World Cup. He of is. His international it's him career. and Ronaldo's last, last World Cups. I mean, if they both advance and get a matchup, I think that would be iconic. But uh, I want to see him in the final. Currently, Poland sits atop of uh, the division. They got a, they they've had a good tournament so far with a win and a draw, four points currently. Argentina only has three points playing up against them. Um, with a win, they advance. With a loss, they're out. They need that draw at least to make it. I, this Argentina team, we saw them. Against Saudi Arabia, we saw them against Mexico. They up and down performances in both of those games. It's it really going to come down to an interesting matchup against Poland, who has overperformed. Some would say. Lewandowski. Hey, Lewandowski is a current Barca striker versus previous Barca striker. Is it head-to-head matchup? It, it's going to be uh, two of the best goal scorers of all time. Crazy. I'd, um, yeah, I'd tune into that one. Uh, I think that one's on a Wednesday. Wednesday, probably like four in the morning, something like that. Yeah, you know, all these games, the three, or, so, no, I think with the shotgun starts, the, it's six and noon now or something like that. I mean, double check before. Yeah. Looking, but, um. All right, well, one final update on the Steelers game here before we sign off. With just under four minutes left to play. The Steelers lead 24-17, to 17, just punted the ball away after a short pass. Got them six yards on fourth and 13. Well, well that's going to wrap it up from us here at the, at the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm your host, Noah Butler, joined alongside Evan McNeilia. I'd like to thank our guests, Joe Garner and Nathan, Nathan Ecker. Ecker. Thank you, guys. Good night.